Welcome to Tower Hill Online. I'm Karen G, and this is our weekly sermon recap. This week, we're continuing with part two of our Easter message, how Jesus' resurrection gave us an opportunity for a new life. So don't be afraid of how your life might change if you let him in. Let's kick it off to Pastor Teresa Swenson right now. Well, welcome back to the second Sunday of Easter. Um, as many of you know, this is um, Easter in the Eastern Orthodox realm of the church, Easter in the Ukraine today. And the church actually celebrates seven Sundays of Easter. Uh, Pastor Jason is away. I'm Pastor Teresa. It's my joy to bring the Easter message to you again this morning. You remember that there are 50 days from Easter to Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and uh, came upon the church. And you remember that after our Lord Jesus came out of the tomb, he remained and was seen on earth physically for 40 days. And he was seen by small groups of disciples and he was seen by 500 disciples at, at one time before he returned to heaven. So we have seven Sundays, seven Sundays to say the Lord is risen. He is risen indeed, right? I know you wanted to say that again because you didn't get to say it enough times last week, right? The Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. Oh, very great. I love that. Love that spirit, right? So we never do get enough Easter, do we? Because Jesus is alive forevermore. And in many ways, every Sunday that we gather together to worship, we are celebrating Easter. We are celebrating the risen Lord. Jesus, the King of the Jews. Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The King who was buried in a tomb. What is a fitting burial place for a king? Uh, I have been to Spain, as many as of you have also. My daughter lived in Spain for a year and a half, so I had several opportunities to go and visit her. And in Spain, there is a magnificent palace and monastery outside the mountains of Madrid called El Escorial. And that is the burial place of the Spanish kings. It was built by King Philip II in the 16th century with wealth that the Spaniards had pillaged and plundered from the New World. And so it was a monument to their wealth and their power and their domination. It was especially built to celebrate the victory over a war with France. And so when you go through this, this palace... And it's very easy to get lost there if you get separated from your tour group, as I did. Very, very difficult to find your way after that. But you go through room after room of these life-size paintings of epic battles of European wars, only ones that the Spanish kings won. And so you have one painting after another, especially 
King Philip II's wars that, that he won. And you finally come to King Philip's bedroom. And you come to the place where King Philip met an enemy that he could not defeat, where he met the enemy death. Because from his bedroom, you make your way to his burial place. The burial place is called the Pantheon of the Kings. And it is a magnificent room that is absolutely beautiful. It has emerald marble. It has bronze that has been polished to look like gold. And there are 28 magnificent sepulchers there. And they point out to you, here is the burial place of King Philip II. King Philip III, King Philip IV, this is King Charles, this is King Alfonso. All these kings who had defeated so many enemies but one. None of them defeated the enemy, death. But we know a king who did. So the good news for today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And as you know, 1 Corinthians... Chapter 15 is the famous resurrection chapter. And so we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first of those who leave the grave. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Now, if you wonder where you heard that verse before, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26, that verse is on the grave of Harry Potter's parents. But what does it mean? The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. We understand that death is an enemy, all right. That death is what robs the kings and robs us of any more victories. Death is what robs us of the companionship of our loved ones. Death is what robs us sometimes of our security, of our plans, of our dreams for the future. Harry Potter's father accepted death willingly when he chose to fight the evil Voldemort to the death in their home. And his mother gave her life protecting Harry. We understand that giving your life to defend your loved ones, giving the, your life in a noble cause, is a kind of victory over the enemy, death. But Harry's parents do not come back to life. And as you know, he has to live with his muggle relatives, who do not understand his special powers. So what does it mean that Jesus destroys the enemy, death? Surely it has to mean something more than Harry Potter's parents. 
Our scripture says, For Christ must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Jesus is alive and battles every enemy that threatens the flourishing of his people. He disarmed the enemies of sin and Satan by his sinless life and by his death on the cross. God raised Jesus from the dead bodily, and he was seen by so many of his disciples. And he has ascended into heaven where he will reign until the very last enemy is destroyed. Until death itself is abolished. Then he reigns in a place where there is no more dying, no more death. Till that great getting up morning when his people are raised bodily from the grave as he was. Never to live in fear of death and dying again. But the women who came to the grave that first Easter morning didn't know all that. They were waiting to minister to Jesus' dead body. They were ready with what the Jewish burial customs were to anoint his body with spices. They knew that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had asked Pilate if they could take Jesus' body down off the cross and that Nicodemus had brought 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe to anoint Jesus' body. And they had wrapped Jesus' body, as their custom was, in grave clothes, in in a shroud. But the women that morning needed to go and take care of Jesus' body themselves as one last act of loving care that they could show to their beloved Jesus. In some families, there is one person in the family that needs to go and take care of the body. I have the privilege of walking beside many families when they have lost a loved one. In my own family, my mother died, she was 96, about five years ago, right around this time, right around Easter. And I have one sister who is a nurse. And after we had all stood around my mother's bed and my mother passed and everyone left the room, my one sister said, I have to go back. I have to go back and wash her body. I have to put her favorite lotion on her. I have to put her favorite perfume on her. I have to go back. And that's what these women felt. They knew they hadn't had time because it was the Jewish day of preparation, so they were not allowed to go immediately when Jesus died, but they wanted to go care for his body physically. They were worried about the obstacle they knew. The obstacle they knew was the giant stone, and they didn't know how the stone would be rolled away. But when they got there, the stone was already rolled away. So they went into the tomb thinking they would find the body of Jesus, believing that Jesus was one more victim of the enemy, death. But instead, they found that the grave clothes were neatly folded. They did not find Jesus there, but a young man dressed in white 
who said to them, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. Oh yes, that was the one they were looking for. Jesus of Nazareth. No royal title. No divine anthem. Jesus, the human ordinary name who had been crucified. And the last time they had seen him, he was hanging lifeless on a cross. It seemed to them that the enemy death had defeated Jesus. The power of death is so final, so silent. No more wonderful words of life. So many people I walk beside who are grieving the loss of a loved one tell me what they miss is the continuing conversation, that they can't talk to them anymore. And so the women felt Jesus was out of reach when they came to the tomb that morning. They had seen Jesus' life ebb away on the cross. So what could this young man in the tomb be trying to tell them? What was he talking about? He has been raised. He is not here. Come see the place where they laid him. How could he be alive? Didn't death that enemy of all humankind, have the final word over Jesus as it does with everyone else? Well, we heard the invitation, if you were here last week, to come and investigate. Come and put on the lenses that give you the eyes of faith so that you can see reality in a different way. You can point to the final resting place of all the kings of Spain. King Philip is here. King Charles is here. But Jesus, the king of kings, no, he is not here. That is the amazing proclamation. He left the grave clothes behind because he will never need them again. The grave clothes. The shroud is left behind. As the prophet Isaiah had promised so many years before, on this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. So can you picture the Lord of heaven and earth going from person to person who's grieving the loss of someone and wiping their tears away personally. You remember that Jesus shed his own tears at the grave of his friend Lazarus. He was so outraged to see human life that was meant to last forever bound by the grave. And he said about Lazarus, unbind him and let him go. Let him go and let him live as God intended him to live. And the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus became flesh and blood so that through death he might conquer the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives have been held in bondage by their fear of death. That is our hope, our confidence, that Jesus has conquered that last enemy and that he will raise us up on the last day. But what about our life here and now? 
in our life here and now, we experience many deaths, many griefs, many losses. The death of our dreams of good health, the dreams of a loving marriage, the dreams of successful children, of a satisfying job, of financial security, of faithful friendships. We feel the pain of loss and we feel disgraced when these things die. Things we have invested our life in, things we hoped that God was promising to us. But Easter tells us that God puts to death our dreams so he can raise them again in newness of life. It requires faith to believe that God can breathe new life into dead things. I always encourage people that are dealing with death to look to the resurrection there are resurrection stories all around us. And, and here is a resurrection story. Many of you have read the book or seen the movie The Help, which takes place in Jackson, Mississippi, and tells the story of African-American women that are serving as housekeepers and child caregivers during a time of great social upheaval in our country, during the time of the civil rights movement. And, and it tells through their eyes the story of the very historical figure, Medgar Evers, an African-American man that was born in Mississippi, and he loved the South. He did not want to leave the South. That was his home. He was a World War II veteran that had fought on the beaches of Normandy. But when he returned to his own beloved country that he had fought for, the first time he went to vote, he was met by a mob of armed white supremacists who were determined that he would not vote. And so he became, from 1954 to 1963, a field officer in Mississippi for the NAACP, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. He tirelessly led marches, voter registration drives, boycotts, prayer vigils. His name appeared on a death list as early as 1955. Yet he persistently appealed to both blacks and whites to work together to find peaceful, nonviolent solutions to social problems. At a civil rights rally on June 7, 1963, Medgar Evers told the crowd, freedom has never been free. I love my children and I love my wife with all my heart and I would die and die gladly if it would ensure that it would make a better life for them. Five days later, he was shot and killed as he returned home around midnight. He was gunned down in his driveway. The white supremacist man who killed him was brought to trial two times in Mississippi, and the jury deadlocked both times and could not come to a verdict. It certainly seemed that the dream of a life of racial equality and freedom in Mississippi was dead. But remember that God specializes in bringing resurrection, in bringing new life out of dead things. It requires faith 
to believe that God can breathe life into dead things. God is always at work in the middle of what looks dead. Just like CPR breathes life into a lifeless victim, so God's spirit is always about renewing the face of the earth and bringing new life into dead things. 31 years after Medgar Evers' death, new evidence was released. There was a retrial, and his assailant was finally found guilty. In that time, the state of Mississippi had changed a great deal as part of Medgar Evers' legacy. When Medgar Evers died in 1963, only 28,000 blacks were registered to vote in Mississippi, and now there are over 500,000 registered to vote. And one quarter of the state legislators in Mississippi are African American. There's even a statue erected to Medgar Evers in the center of the city of Jackson. God is able to destroy the power of death and to do a new thing and bring new life to put our dreams to death and raise them in a new way that we could never imagine. God is able to breathe new life into any situation, any circumstance, any loss. Because that's what resurrection power does. Resurrection power brings new life. What is resurrected by the power of God is even better than what was there before. Our confidence for this life is based on our confidence that Christ has overcome the final enemy, death. But what if you are not a victim of anyone else's violence? What if you have set fire to your own life? What if you are the one that lit the match, that brought death and destruction in your own life? God promises to bring beauty from ashes even if the ashes were set by your own match. This is what Jesus wants to do for you when you bring to him all of your dead places. He wants to revive you, to breathe new life, because Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe, even though you die, you will live. So what is dead in your life, in your emotions, in your relationships, in your family? What is dead about your faith? Do you need it to come back to life? Do you feel that God is far away? Would you allow Jesus to come and breathe new life into your spirit and destroy everything that is threatening to choke the life of the spirit out of you. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. That is Romans 8:11 from the Message Bible. And Romans 8:11 from the Message Bible goes on to say When God 
lives and breathes in you, and he does as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from death to life. Well, how does that happen? How does that happen? What did the women discover that morning? First, you have to seek him. Seek him as eagerly as the women looked for him that morning. Remember what the messenger at the tomb told them. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of how your life will change. We've heard for several weeks here throughout the Lenten season that fear paralyzes faith. So the invitation of faith is come and see. Read the Gospels. Look at the story of Jesus for yourself. Investigate. Check it out. Look for him. And then the messenger said, go to his disciples. Go and spend time with other people who know him and believe in him. We have many invitations to small groups that you can come here. And there are many places outside of here where you can join together with others who know and love Jesus, who will encourage your faith as you hear their faith. And then the messenger said, look for him right where your life is. Take a walk of faith. He is not in those dead places that you left behind you. He is going on ahead of you to bring you new life. There you will see him. Because you remember that Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Mm -hmm.